You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, joined by site colleagues Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan. We are all fresh out of Beaver Stadium, where we spent a few hours on this Tuesday afternoon hearing from James Franklin, new receivers coach Marcus Higgins, uh, making his introductory press conference, and then ultimately a ton of second-year players with this Denton Lions program. Uh, so the guys who were freshmen last year or first-year players like a Tyrese Mills or J.B. Nelson from Lackawanna College last year. Uh, great access. We appreciate it from the program. The first time we really spoke to all these freshmen was out in Pasadena ahead of the Rose Bowl. So to get them one month later ahead of their uh, spring practice sessions was pretty important for us in our coverage. And uh, we'll begin with you, Mark, because uh, – this is a, a year that is being chalked up as a very high potential one for the Penn State and Indy Lions. This is our first time getting James Franklin in a press conference format since right after the Rose Bowl. And very clear, he's ready to turn the page, excited about this group. But I thought what stood out to me, he's calling for new leadership because last year he says that was as good as he's experienced from his locker room. Yeah, you know, I want to reiterate what you said about being thankful for the access. I mean, this is something that we requested a few years ago, and they, they started doing it with the Micah Parsons, Friermuth, uh, Jason OA at the time class, and, and it's really been a great opportunity uh, to get content. And then you sh- then you throw Mar- Marcus Hagens uh, in there, and uh, that was just uh, terrific. But, yeah, I mean, you know, w- when you look at the way the Rose Bowl unfolded, uh, the two MVPs for Penn State were your two best leaders. Uh, and obviously, I would throw P.J. Mustafer in there as well as Tig on defense. Uh, but, yeah, you have a lot of leadership that you have to replace. And we said it throughout last season. You know, sooner or later, that team was going to be tested because there was no way they were going to c- kind of skate through that without being uh, w- without getting at least one L and maybe a couple. And, and sure enough, they lost the two games that everybody thought they that that they would. I think we all predict predicted they would lose to Ohio State and Michigan. And uh, the way they rebounded after that, I think, spoke to the leadership. That could have gone a lot of different ways. And I think that's what James Franklin realizes. You know, he looks around the country and you see teams lose a couple games and guys opting out and seniors just saying to heck with it. Uh, We see Penn State in 2021, what happened when when things went sideways. Wasn't a great year. Obviously, you know, the the losses were much, much more frequent than they were this past season. But you look at it now and where is the leadership going to come from? And I think the biggest area is that quarterback room. You know, this is nobody's doubting the talent in the quarterback room. The talent is there. Now, who and is it going to be a combination of the guys? Is it going to be Drew Aller? I mean, how how is that going to come along? And I think as I look at this team heading into spring practice, that is the single biggest question. I think you have enough veteran players over on defense. 
I think elsewhere on offense, you have enough guys who have played enough football. You know, you look at that offensive line, even the receiving core, you've had guys who have been around for a little bit now, tight ends, obviously, you know, guys have played a lot of football running back. I mean, Nick Singleton to me just strikes me as a natural leader, even as a young guy with all the football that he's played. So that to me, as I look at it, that quarterback position, and that's why I asked James Franklin about it. And he had, I thought his, his, his uh, response was pretty good saying, yeah, that's obviously something that you have to work on. That's a, quarterback is a position where leadership is like it's a natural thing that you have to have from it and the key is getting that developed before the season gets here so they have a long time but look out people I mean it was just yesterday that we were in in LA it seems like and now you know here we are winter workouts are starting spring practice will be here then the summer and then we're going to be back into camp so they got to get that developed really quickly yeah, I mentioned this a couple of times today, but we are essentially equidistant from you know our post-game press conference at, at, at the Rose Bowl and finishing off with that 11th win to the start of the 2023 spring practice period. And, and today, Tuesday morning, marked the start of winter conditioning. We've already seen a lot of the position coaches, including the new one, who we'll talk about in a moment, put out their initial top performers from today. But Daniel, circling back to, to James Franklin, he took some time in that opening statement to talk about the, the, his you know, calling for leadership. I think that was something that he wanted to, to make sure that was very much out there and that he was emphatic about it because I'm sure uh, for as much as they discuss it in the locker room, it's something that needs to come together you know, naturally, I'd imagine. So for you, what do you kind of walk away from this uh, between now and spring ball where you know, you're scratching your head kind of wondering what comes out of it uh, before this team gets back on the field? Definitely. I think that I gravitate towards the the leadership part of things because that's kind of where we are um, in, in terms of the offseason where you know, we're not going to get really into position battles at this point. Um, player movement for the most part is, is pretty stagnant at, at this time of year. So I think that with these winter workouts starting, this is where guys are able to set the tone um, for what we're going to see in the spring, what we can see in the fall. This is where players can create the different bases for themselves uh, to, to build on. You know, this is where when we see those those tweets from the position coaches where we look at, all right, who are, whose names are we seeing a lot? What could that mean for the future? Last winter, we saw, I remember seeing Theo Johnson's name a lot, Zane Durant's name a lot, um, and a couple other guys who come fall you got to see a lot of those guys on the field, a lot of those guys getting opportunities and, you know, especially in like Theo Johnson's case, making some, some big plays. So, you know, I thought that James Franklin covered uh, a lot of ground today um, in kind of like in terms of clerical stuff, you know, talking about Jim Diono, uh, you know, joining the class last week, talking about the transfers who have come in and how they've been able to integrate themselves, talking about Marcus Hagan's, um, but I do think that the leadership part of it is going to be really big um, to watch. I mean, losing Sean Clifford, losing Jair Brown, PJ Mustafer, Juice Scruggs, um, even guys like Jonathan Sutherland and Chris Stoll, uh, you really go down the list and they lost a lot of a lot of veterans. Um, and, you know, there's some, you know, um, spots that have been vacated there's some absences some voids that need to be filled and this is where guys can do that this is where players can you know urge their teammates on in some of these workouts this is where people where kind of the cream rises to the crop because cream rises to the top i cannot talk this afternoon um because 
you know, you're really getting put in some adverse situations. So I think the leadership point, because Franklin emphasized it so much, I think that that's really what I came away with. And we're I all talked out though. Hey, we're all, t- we were talking <laughs> a lot this afternoon. Believe yes. me, we were asking a lot of questions. So it's yeah. understandable, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of coverage at lines, 24, com, and it'll continue to pop up there in the coming days ahead, hours ahead, because there was a lot on our plate here in, in a short period of time at Beaver stadium. But one note uh, off, after a conversation with, with second year wide receiver, Caden Saunders, just from this morning to address what you mentioned, Mark, he said that, it jumped out to him in a big way this morning how vocal Drew Aller was during the winter conditioning with everybody on the team. He said there's no way Drew would have stepped up to that plate at any point in 2022. Of course, when you're when you're behind a four-time team captain and a six-year senior quarterback, you don't necessarily need to take that kind of a deal on. Uh, but that was good to hear. I think everyone's curious what Drew's next step is going to look like because we talk so much about the arm talent and, and what he brings to the table as a prototypical passer quarterback. But you need a leader at that position. It's a part of it. It's it's a prong of the position. Um, and, and early returns are encouraging, I would say, but a long way to go uh, in that process. Uh, when we look at, at this at this press conference, a big part of it was setting the stage for, for Marcus Higgins. He popped up after James Franklin was finished with his press conference. We got a few things to pop uh, to get back to with James Franklin as we go on here. But Marcus Higgins uh, you know, not only stepped up and, 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 and kind of discussed a lot, but he comes from a situation that you're just not used to. A coach who spent more than a decade at his alma mater before he gets to, to town here at Happy Valley. You know, We're used to guys kind of going here, there. They've got four or five spots on their resume, at least before they end up at Penn State. This was a situation, Mark Brennan, where very clearly he talked about his wife, a breast cancer survivor, how important their support system was down in Charlottesville, why that kind of played into him not not having the right timing to leave town in the past, perhaps. But right now, too good of an opportunity for him. And as James Franklin alluded to, they narrowed down their process. They feel like he would be the right fit and they got a big seal of approval from Anthony Poindexter, who not only coached him down at UVA, uh, but was in that discussion to end up as UVA's head coach potentially last year. Those two families are very much uh, like a family, and now they'll get to live in, in Happy Valley together, although Hagen's, Hagen's wife and children not do up here until the summer. Yeah, the thing about Hagen's is that's interesting, and it's it's almost backward from a lot of other coaches. Um, he was actually an assistant under, is it three different head coaches at, at, at UVA, which is – so, so usually when you look at these wiki pages for these coaches, and it has like 18 different stops, uh, you know, they were here, 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 here. Well, this guy's had, had one stop, but he's been under multiple head coaches. But I think that's actually – think of how positive that is. And for Penn State fans, uh, you know, I'll give you the example of Larry Johnson. Uh, you know, when there was a huge turnover here at Penn State, you know, going from Joe Paterno to, to, uh, to, to Billy O – uh, they, one of the first things that Bill O'Brien announced, and it, it was the first question I asked him, uh, was that they were keeping Larry Johnson. Now, obviously, it's different sides of the ball and different positions and whatnot, but my point being, when a new coach comes in and decides to keep a, a, a coach who's been there, that guy's doing a good job, obviously. I mean, there, there's multiple coaches. Sometimes coaches just come in and clean house regardless. But I think that I think that reflects very well on him. And I just, you know, there's not that much out there about him. I did that story a couple a week ago or however long ago it was. 
you know, kind of doing a deep dive and there's just not a lot of interviews and stuff. You know, I, I found a podcast. There just wasn't a whole heck of a lot. And to be able to get 20 minutes with him, you know, with all different reporters asking questions, yeah. it, it's really cool. And I think if you're a Penn State fan, we posted it up on the front page. You could link to it. We have the entire video. I, I don't say this for all these, but this is a new coach. Take the 15, 20 minutes and watch that. And you're going to get to know him. And you're going to get to see what this guy's all about and the way he carries himself, the way he talked about his wife and, and her breast cancer battle, the way he addressed the situation with the with the unfortunate passing of, of the players down at Virginia, all things he had to deal with there. And then to the nuts and bolts of it, you know, to, to what he sees in the Penn State room, uh, to his coaching style, to, to what how he works as a recruiter. All of these things, I think you see him in a natural setting, and I think he carried himself extremely, extremely well. Obviously, an intelligent guy, had a nice playing career, playing different positions. Uh, you know, ultimately ended up being at his, the position he loved the most in college, a quarterback, but then did what he had to do to stick in the NFL for a few years. But just carries himself really well, and you can see where he's a great fit for this coaching staff. And with Higgins, I mean, we heard from Jackie Franchuli from our Virginia site a few weeks ago on this podcast when, when the news became official, um, and and they absolutely love him down there. Um, so to bring him here, and, and and you know, we don't know exactly what the compensation package looked like, but Daniel very clearly from from Marcus talking about it, from James talking about it, the Anthony Poindexter elephant in the room part of this equation where it's got to be biting people the wrong way down in Charlottesville, because I know there's plenty of folks down there that in an alternate reality, Anthony Poindexter is the head coach down there. Maybe Marcus Higgins just got a promotion on that staff. Definitely. I think that Franklin said that, you know, Anthony Poindexter's voice carried a lot of weight um, in terms of vouching for Higgins and, and his candidacy for the spot. And then, you know, someone asked the, the first time that Higgins was asked about his relationship with Anthony Poindexter, he was pretty quick to point out that one of that his son is named Christopher Dex um, mm -hmm. and that Anthony Poindexter is the reason why. I mean, they were there, you know, for a while together. Um, you know, obviously, when you talk about the place that both of those men kind of their place in UVA football history, um, both of them are, are pretty high up there. Um, obviously, Poindexter was you know, one of, probably one of the most accomplished players, if not the most, uh, to come through that program. Um, and then Hagen's, I think the fact that he did so many different things for them, playing wide receiver, playing quarterback, um, you know, he really, you know, also carved out his spot there. So, you know, I think that when you talk about these, uh, you know, especially in the coaching world, these types of relationships and, and connections are, are everything. You know, you're really going through the Rolodex talking to guys, you know, who knows who, how can you get in touch with someone? Um, and, you know, you can really connect the dots here. Uh, hey, Higgins was kind of funny when he was talking about the whole process where he said that when you're in it, it feels like it takes forever. Um, when you're going through the interview process, when you're waiting for, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, um, that it, it felt like things were, you know, really, really going slow. But, you know, Franklin said that when they were going through the interview process, that it became clear that this was the guy that they needed to hire. This was the guy that, that they needed on their staff. Um, and I thought in terms of his longevity at UVA, I thought Franklin made the pretty good point um, that Mark just kind of touched on where he was in one place for a long time, but he did have to go through change uh, in terms right. of the different coaching staffs that came in. Um, 
And, you know, especially Bronco Mendenhall coming in. I, re- I remember that one really seemed like it came out of left field um, and was, you know, a bit of a shock for, you know, us on the outside and was really a change for Virginia. Um, so he has already been through change before. It's just all been in one place. Um, and so I thought that was a, a pretty good point made by Franklin in terms of, you know, making this transition to a new program in a new locale. One of my favorite comments from Higgins today that, that at least stuck with me was saying that from this winter workout and his observations here during these eight periods, which started on Tuesday, he feels like it, quote, nullifies 12 hours of conversation. Uh, you can sit down with players. They can tell you what their skill sets are. They can tell you what they're made of. Or you can wake up early in the morning, show up with them uh, at the facilities, blow the whistle and see who shows up in, in a big way. And, and it's, you know, this receiver room is so interesting because Malik McLean was the was the top performer of the day, according to Higgins. Those are two guys who were out of sight, out of mind here in Happy Valley when we were covering the Rose Bowl. All of a sudden, one's the wide receivers coach and one could be a starting wide receiver for you. And so McLean comes in. He's a guy who's obviously going to come in and try to win a starting job. And he's encountering a room with all this young talent. And I want to shift us over, by the way, just plenty from Higgins and from, from Franklin over at the site. But getting over to, to the player format of, of what we saw today in Beaver Stadium, I couldn't kind of look away because there was all these wide receivers everywhere from this 2022 freshman class. There's five of them now. Omari Evans is the only one who is a sophomore. Everybody else is a redshirt freshman. You had Caden Saunders talking about feeling like he kind of missed his opportunity to hit the ground running last year. Didn't finish out his high school career uh, in terms of preparedness from a physical standpoint, mental standpoint to get to Happy Valley last January and really be where he wanted to be. It took him a little while in that progression. We were from Christian Driver having a conversation late in the season with James Franklin and the coaching staff about why wide receiver was a better fit for him than defensive back. And you go down this list, Tyler Johnson, um, uh, you got uh, Anthony Ivey, guys who didn't even get any game snaps last year, and the new wide receivers coach. This was probably the big storyline for me based on all the conversations is there's an energy there. There's a fresh slate there. And as James Franklin said, there is no quicker way to put fear in a defensive uh, coordinator right now than to have you know, uncoverable one-on-one situations on the perimeter and guys who can turn a, a one missed tackle into 80 yards. He says a running back probably needs three missed tackles and a lead receiver can do it in one. What say you, Mr. Gallon, about everything I just threw at the wall when it comes to the wide receiver position. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the, you looked at those tables and in the room today and you saw all these wide receivers, but we haven't really seen any of them on the field uh, outside of Omari Evans. You know, you got a little bit of Caden Saunders, but we haven't seen Anthony Ivy, Tyler Johnson or Christian driver, you know, take a wide receiver rep in a game. Um, So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what these guys are able to do. Um, It is interesting, too, because these are all guys who were recruited by Taylor Stubblefield, who had their first really introduction to the college game um, come under his guidance. So, you know, I think that this is, uh, you know, for any position group or any group of guys on the team, regardless of position or class, this is they probably have to go through the biggest transition uh, just based on what their expectations were coming here you know, the wide receivers coach that they've really been talking to through the whole process. Um, Omari Evans said that in the recruiting process, he got one text from Marcus Hagan's, uh, but it was right before he committed to Penn State. So he didn't mm. really get a chance to, to start that relationship. Um, but I think that they do realize that there's an opportunity there for them. 
Um, I talked to Tyler Johnson for a little bit today, um, and he talked about making the adjustment of getting to college and realizing that you know everybody is just as strong as you, everybody is just as fast as you. So you have to figure out how to make that work for you. And he's someone who came from very small school, Virginia, where he was putting up some really kind of video game numbers uh, in terms of you know average yards per catch uh, during his his final two years at Magna Vista. Um, so these guys, they know that with Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley leaving, um, that there will be an opportunity to step up um, and really kind of carve out their own roles. Um, you know, you mentioned it with Caden Saunders. You know, I think I got to spend some time with him too, and it was really interesting to hear him kind of, you know, really be honest. Um, about... Very honest, very honest. <laughs> yeah. And it it really kind of backed up exactly what Taylor Stubblefield said. I think that was in November. Uh, when he talked about, you know, Caden Saunders, you know, being a little bit out of shape. Um, and, you know, Caden Saunders said it was like, you know, he was losing reps that and losing these drills that he was never accustomed to losing before um, and that he was losing them by a lot and that it was kind of a, a real wake up call to him and kind of, you know, really reset things for what he needed to do to compete at this level. Um, and, you know, I think that that's an experience that isn't unique to him. I think, a lot of these players were probably the best player in their team and their conference and their city, you know, even, you know, their, their region coming in, but there is really a reset that you have to go through when you get here, especially at a position like wide receiver. So it is going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. You know, I mean, I think we kind of know what Omari Evans is. Um, he said that, you know, he's really learning how to play at his speed, um, he said that mentally at times, you know, he plays like he runs a four six, but we all know that he, we, we all know he can run a much faster than that. And he said he's getting closer to being able to play at that, you know, four, three, four, four level um, that he's capable of. So these guys have a big spring ahead of them. They have to get to know their coach. Their coach has to get to know them. Um, and then they have to make things happen on the field. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 seven podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, new receivers coach, new starting quarterback, and and this is essentially half of your wide receiver room as currently uh, comprised going into spring ball. So a, a long look for Marcus Higgins at this group, including Christian Driver, we confirmed making that transition. One thing to add in terms of transition position, Tyrese Mills is a player that, that we, we've talked about a bit, wrote about him earlier this week. Would he be a linebacker as he was in year one with Penn State? Would he be a safety in 2023 like he was before at Lackawanna College? 
He confirmed today safety is where he is back at here for 2023. What we don't know is whether he'll be good to go come spring ball. Right now, not a full participant in winter workouts as he recovers from an injury suffered last year during preseason camp. He's one of the two Lackawanna College additions last season, along with J.B. Nelson, who appears to be a roster riser on the offensive interior after playing four games last season. I think we can just kind of go along some rapid fire because you, uh, Daniel, and, and Mark and myself – we were just scrambling, you know, trying to get to wherever we could, dropping our phones here. We're still we, – I think it's going to take us a few days to completely evaluate the audio that we collected, and we will share everything that we have with the fine folks at Lions 24-7. I'm sure we'll have some more takeaways on the next episode of this podcast. But, Mark, going back to you, uh, Brandon Cam was was in the face of some formidable Nittany Lions today, including who we project as QB1, and everyone stops and stares for at least a moment when number 15 walks into the room these days. Yeah, I got to throw out one thing about the receivers. James Franklin was asked if uh, if you were to get another uh, receiver from the yes. transfer portal, and Franklin said really good. So that's <laughs> that was actually a pretty good answer. But yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, Drew Aller, it was funny because I had a chance to talk to him at the Rose Bowl, and uh, it I said, have you ever talked to this many people before? He's like, no, never in my life. And today it was even worse because, you know, out at the Rose Bowl, there was only so much of the beat that actually traveled. And here, the vast majority of the beat was actually here. So he was immediately crushed. So I, I backed <laughs> away and waited for it to, to clear out. But I said it after, after we had a chance to talk to him at the Rose Bowl. He carries himself like a QB1. He does. And that's not to say Bo Pribula doesn't because I had a chance to talk to him in Pasadena. Did not have a chance to talk to him today, but um, he, he carries himself the same way. Both of these guys carry themselves just in a certain way. And you could tell there's a self-awareness there from the whole leadership uh, thing that he, he gets it. He gets how important that is, Drew Aller. That, that he's able to step up. You know, I said, what was it like that first day you walked in the room and there's no Sean Clifford, there's no CV. I mean, mm. and he goes, yeah, I mean, you, you, it kind of hits you that, that, okay, you know, here it is. We have to be able to step up and do it. But he also realizes the thing that Franklin said is this isn't something that has to be done. I'm touching on what I touched on before. It doesn't have to be done immediately. Cause I think if you try to do it immediately, you're going to be forcing things. Uh, but it, it's, Give it time, and, and over the course of the off season, you want to be where you need to be leadership wise when when the the, the season opener gets here. The other cool was asked. To, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was gonna I was gonna set the table yeah. for Daniel real quick because no, before go we go before we blow past him like we often do. Bo Prabula, you I saw you take a seat yeah. next to him, Daniel. He's a guy. James Franklin was you know you asked about is there a pecking order at quarterback Mark and you know James Franklin said well based on what happened last year and the way the season finished you're gonna send someone out first. That's Drew Aller right now. But he was very quick to say they have confidence in Bo and Drew, despite the lack of, of, I guess, experience on a college campus. These guys have been around for, what, 13 months. They feel like they've got the talent uh, in place. And, and I'm curious what you think about the mindset of, of Bo Prabula from, from picking his brain for a bit, Daniel, because I absolutely enjoyed our podcast conversations with Bo. And he, you know, since he's gotten to campus, it, he's been in a shadow, at least in the eyes of many. Yeah, I think it's similar to what Mark said about the way that Drew Aller carries himself. I, I think that Bo Prabula is similar in kind of that QB1, uh, you know, that quiet confidence, uh, that assertiveness. Um, you know, I think when I talked to Drew Aller out in Pasadena, you know, I'd never talked to him before. And that was the thing that just really struck me was that he just seemed very in control um, 
you know, of himself with in control of every answer. And I think Bo Perula is, is very similar in that respect where, you know, he knows what he's going to say. Um, he's very confident in how he delivers it. He's very thoughtful. Um, he talked a lot about Sean Clifford uh, today um, in terms of what he learned, uh, you know, and, you know, from Sean over the course of this year. And especially when it comes to how to be a leader, um, because I thought that that was an, an interesting thing that, uh, James Franklin said today where you know, he said that it's kind of it's not just Drew you know it's also Bo that he needs both of them to really step up and be leaders from the quarterback position um, and I think that Bo said that that's something that he looks at as an opportunity and that he's looking forward to doing um, so I, I enjoyed the the chance to talk to him um, he said he feels a lot more comfortable um, you know he was running the scout team last year so he got a lot of reps in uh, from that perspective. And, you know, I think that he feels like he's in a good place when spring ball gets here. Um, but he did kind of allude to the fact that he needs to, he wants to get through winter workouts first uh, before, you know, really talking about and, and looking at a depth chart, you know, what his role might be, uh, you know, this spring and summer and, and fall. Okay. One thing, Mark, Tyler, I wanted yeah, to point ahead. out about, about Aller is that, uh, and I'm just going through looking at, at the transcript here. Every time I asked him a question about where do you need to get better or something like that, he started off by talking about where the offense has to get better, for instance. So he initially said, yeah, we need to get better on third down. But then he came back and talked about where he needed to get better. So a lot of times guys will go into this coach speak and never get around to, to, to what, you were get, what you were asking them about. Uh, but he did. I mean, he is really you, you can see the the cogs kind of going as you're asking him the question. So it's the, the question was essentially, yeah, you know, after you when you sit down at the end of the year, where are the areas that you feel you have to get better? And he's like, yeah, on third down, I think we, we need to have better. We didn't succeed on certain uh, third. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But then it's like and I just have to get better overall. There are different things that I could do better. And I, I was impressed by that, that he was looking at it from the team standpoint but also realizing that we're asking him about him and we want to know about him as well. Um, again, we're going to have a lot more up on the site. We'll, we'll have more to cover uh, on our next episode of this podcast. But with a few minutes remaining here, um, Abdul Carter, Nick Singleton, Katron Allen were among those. Uh, I got to Katron. Uh, I don't know if you guys got that. I, I put a microphone down at Abdul mm -hmm. Carter, which I will check I out there. at length later. But I, Abdul Carter is a guy who is – you know, he came on so fast. He showed up last summer. He's a freshman All-American. The NIL opportunities are, are going to be there for him in a big way. Sitting sitting alongside Micah Parsons at a Penn State wrestling match last weekend. Life looks pretty good for number 11 right now, but he comes across as a guy that does not seem phased by it in the least, Mark. No, he is super duper low key. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you could really throw anything at him and he just, you know, gives like a relatively short answer unless it's something that, like I was asking him about Manny Diaz and, you know, was he more critical on you as you got better? And he kind of opened up about that, about how he actually enjoyed it when they realized that he was a good player. He didn't say this, but that he could he understood what they were trying to do. He said he didn't care if he didn't start. He just wanted to get better. And just kind of the way he he kind of handled himself in those situations are, are, uh, was was very good. Uh, I asked him about positional versatility. Could we see him at other spots? He goes, I have no idea. I'm just going to go where they put me. Uh, you know, I said after 
after the season, uh, did you sit down with the coaches and maybe go over some areas where they think you could get better? He's like, ah, oh, we didn't have that conversation yet. Uh, so it was just very matter of the fact. But you can tell he's kind of he, there's a, a kind of a quiet intensity there about him, whereas Micah Parsons was like had this bouncy energy. This guy is more kind of direct. And uh, but I, you know the thing I will tell you, and I think a few reporters were talking about it. Regardless of what he said physically, you know, you could see it when you watched him at that wrestling match with Micah Parsons. He looks significantly bigger than Micah Parsons. He said he weighs 244, I think it was today. But I don't know. I don't know. Either Micah has like just tremendous body mass for how big he is or whatever it is, or Abdul Carter's much bigger. Uh, but hey, you look at that linebacker core with Curtis Jacobs coming back. He had some, you know who he lit up when I asked about Dom DeLuca? He absolutely lit up. And I think if you ask a lot of players about Dom DeLuca, but it's like, this is a guy who does it the right way. He earned that scholarship. So this is a future All-American talking about it. This is the guy who's serving as, he's looking at Curtis Jacobs as a role model. He's looking at Dom DeLuca as a role model. What is that telling you? This guy's looking at a guy who had to fight and scratch for a scholarship as a role model when he has all these things in front of him. So that stuff impressed me. They signed a big-time class. A lot of these guys played big-time snaps. But I will say there, there is a common theme among this group in the 2022 class now in year two. Uh, I don't know if it's a humility to them or just like I know I'm going to be really good in football for the next 20, 15 years of my life. I'm going to take it day by day and not talk about it. You know, tonight, Dennis Sutton was a perfect example today, speaking about where he can go from year one and just the, the the humble nature of it. And really, these guys aren't quick to get over their skis and start making promises about what lies ahead in their career. But that's what we're here to do. And and, and so with that in mind, Daniel, um, I'm not sure what else you want to throw out there, but just with a couple minutes, um, some, some big takeaways uh, from your perspective. Feel free to mention as many of these second-year guys as you want. Um, and it, we're condensing a lot into a little on this episode. Well, I mean, Makai Flowers did say that, you know, he thinks the class of 2022 could go down as one of, if not the best ever uh, Mm. to to sign at Penn State. So, um, you know, I think that some of the the confidence is there and I I think it comes out um, a little bit. But I think one person I spent some time talking to today who's probably one of the more forgotten players uh, from the class is Caleb Artis, uh, the defensive tackle who was, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind last year, even in terms of that. The, the class as it was happening, you know, he was in the middle of that big commitment run, I believe, uh, over 4th of July and and in, and in early July of um, 2021. So I think he's someone who kind of flew under the radar a little bit, but is going to have an opportunity because they do need bodies on that interior um, of the of the defensive line. You know, PJ Mustafer is moving on. Um, you do have Devon Lees and Kaziah Izzard and uh you know, Zane Durant and others coming back. But, you know, I do think there is a, and there is an opportunity there for him. Um, all of something, you know, with him, uh, on him and, you know, talking about how he's changed his body. He said he had to give up ice cream uh, in terms of giving up sweets. So he's never been to the creamery um, despite. I couldn't believe campus. that. I was, he was like, yeah, <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm here. And he's like, I can't believe it either. Um, but one other nugget that I thought was interesting was that we were talking to Drew Shelton at, at the very end, and it was when the, the clock was winding down, so the pace of questions was you know kind of haphazard. But someone asked him, you know, who stands out as someone that he's gone up against um, that you know gives him issues, and that someone who could be an impact player. And he mentioned Davon Townley, 
Um, and so he said that when he heard that Townley was you know, coming back out of the portal, that he was pretty excited about that. But he said that Townley's you know, length and you know, he said that he has power, um, especially off the edge, and that makes him pretty, pretty difficult to stop. Um, so I thought that that was, you know, that was a name that I wasn't really expecting to, to come up, you know, from this group. Um, so that was just kind of two, I thought, kind of interesting nuggets there, um, you know, in terms of, you know, Caleb Artis is going to have a chance. He said that he learned a lot uh, by watching PJ Mustafer and that that's someone he really looked up to. Um, and then, you know, Davon Townley is also going to be in that mix at defensive tackle. And, you know, he's someone who, you know, caught the eye or, you know, gave, you know, the a starting left tackle uh, in the Rose Bowl, some issues with the scout team. You mentioned some physical development there, just a couple of notes to pass along. Katron Allen, a.k.a. Fat Man, uh, <laughs> back up toward t- 220 now. He was down right around 200 after losing about 20 pounds as a freshman. A different kind of weight. You can certainly see that just standing next to him, looking at him. But he's back up, pushing toward 220 pounds uh, as this transformation continues. And then Keon Wiley, uh, along with Abdul Carter, enrolled last summer at the linebacker position. Uh, Wiley now right around 220 pounds. He was 205 maybe last year when he showed up to campus. So pretty important progression from him. He got a little bit of game action working at the Mike linebacker position on the practice field last year. Um, Mark, anything to leave us with here? Uh, As promised, a bunch of notes coming on the site. Yeah, yeah. Nick Singleton said he wanted to get faster. I said, what's your the best 40 you've run here? I don't know if this has been out there yet, but he said uh, last year at the, end of, at the end of winter workouts, he ran a 4.39, and he wants to improve on that. So you're looking at a 215-pound, 220-pound mm. 4.39, and I think it showed itself on the field. So if he's able to do that, uh, we can't get out of here without having a Nick Singleton nugget. So yes, I think that was you. one of the uh, – I'm, I'm glad I remembered it. There's so much it's hard to, to, to remember it all, but that one – yeah, he wants to improve on his speed from 439. So, okay, good luck to the rest of college football. And you want to talk about speed? We, we're hearing some very good things about Malik McLean in that category. Not only was he the performer of the day in winter conditioning workouts, but we talked about him as a big bodied receiver edition, six foot four, 200 pound frame coming in Florida State. The quickness sounds like it is very much in place for him there as well. And, and oh, by the way, Storm Duck, another transfer pickup, was Terry Smith's top performer from day one of winter conditioning in a very talented cornerback room. So we're seeing these early guys come on. Tony Rojas got the nod at linebacker. He's in his first semester on campus. Manny Diaz likes what he saw. So we've got some fresh things to chew on and discuss here on the podcast over at lines247.com as the 2022 team is now further off in that rearview mirror and the Rose Bowls further off in that rearview mirror. And we're looking ahead just about five weeks away from spring practice. And then five weeks or so after that, we're back in Beaver Stadium for the blue-white game. Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan, catch their coverage at lines247.com. Thanks for hopping on, fellas. A lot to go through on this one. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.